This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Please, this morning, to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings 2. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? He answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? (coughs) Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, If you see me when I I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And it happened as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And so he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. And when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then they said to him, Look now, there are fifty strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send anyone. But they urged him till he was ashamed, and he said, Send them. Therefore they sent fifty men, and they searched three days, but did not find him. And when they came back to him, 
for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? Amen. That was a long reading. Ah, but a good reading. There are times in our lives when we have seminal moments, pivotal times, red letter days, high watermark times. Some of those times whenever something happens to you that has never ever happened before and after it happens your life is never ever going to be the same again. That's what I mean by a seminal moment. For Elisha this was one such occasion. Life for him after this day would never ever be the same. The last mention we had of Elisha was in 1 Kings chapter 19. And you remember that was the time whenever the prophet Elijah came past his workplace. He worked on the farm and took his outer garment and cast it over his shoulders, which was a, an evident sign to him, at least anyway, he knew what it meant, was that you are going to be my successor. And you remember how that that was the basis of my message uh, last Sunday. So now after eight years and probably more, some even say as much as 20 years, but most commentators say between eight and 10 years later, we now come to 2 Kings chapter 2. And this is the time whenever Elijah's successor is going to be now taking up the mantle, literally taking up the mantle of success. He would no longer be a servant or a student, but he would actually be the successor. And those intervening years, those eight to ten years, must have been invaluable to this young man. He had learned so much, and he had served so faithfully. And so now the time had come when he was going to have to fill Elijah's sandals. There's no question about it. Elisha knew that he was called of God. Elijah knew that he was the called of God, and now everybody is going to know this also. So during those times, he served faithfully and humbly, but now, not only did he prove himself to be trustworthy uh, to Elijah, but more importantly, he proved that to God himself. And so here comes a day like no other day in his life. The mantle of leadership, the mantle of wisdom, the mantle of power was going to literally fall upon him. This is something he had waited for, he had wondered about, he had dreamt about, he had prayed about, but now the time has come. This is the day. But God is going to test his servant one more time. Others will be watching Elijah will be hoping that he passes the test and God himself will oversee this whole day and all of the events that are going to happen. God will never entrust ministry or a calling or anything to anyone that he has not tested. God only entrusts to those whom he trusts. I've often said you would not get on an airplane to go to holidays 
if you knew that that plane had not been tested. If the pilot come on and says, great to have you on board today, this is the first time this flight has actually taken place. This is the first time anybody has ever flown this flight. You'd be making an exit for that door as fast as you could. Why do we think God's any different? If he's going to use any of us for anything, trust me, we will be tested. And so... Again today, as the title of this message suggests, let's follow in the footsteps of a prophet. Elijah and Elisha would now go on a long journey. Can I just move that a second? They would now go on a long journey. It would be some 30 miles or more. And it would be over rugged terrain, and it would be in the heat of the day. Now, Elijah was a, even though he was a much older man, but he was very, very fit. He had great stamina. He was a man that was supremely fit. And Elisha would, it would take him all of his effort just to keep up with the old man. I mean, 30 miles in the hot sun over mountains and down through valleys is a big track to take on any day. And it wasn't just, as we would say, a wee dander. I mean, this, this, this was a long, hard, arduous walk. And their journey would take them through various places. It would take them from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and all the way over the Jordan River. So this was some walk, and this was going to be a testing time for Elisha. But no matter how rough the way, no matter how difficult the task, Elisha was not going to give up. I mean, this was his dream. This was the fulfillment of the promise of God. It was going to happen today. So he is not going to cave in or give up. Sure he's not. He's going to keep on walking and keep on going till he gets from God what has been promised to him. Whatever God has asked us to do in this life, whatever he calls us to do, it's going to involve tests. There will be some twists and turns on the journey. Pursuing God's call is going to take spiritual stamina. We need a go-through spirit, a never-say-die attitude. We must be determined to stay the course and overcome the obstacles in order to do what God wants us to do. Elijah knew that day that he was going to be taken up into heaven. And apparently it seems like well, certainly Elisha knew it, and it seems apparently because they said so that all the sons of the prophet also knew it. And so this is not something that was hidden. They knew it. They didn't know exactly how it was going to happen, but they knew this was the day that was getting close to the hour, and God was going to take this great man of God into heaven. And so the journey for these two prophets that were about to undertake would lead them to these three places of great historical and spiritual, uh, uh, it was just something that meant so much to the Israelites. Gilgal, as you may remember, was the first encampment of the Israelites whenever they crossed over the Jordan, uh, Jordan uh, whenever Joshua took them over. The very first place that they camped was at Gilgal. 
Jericho wasn't far away, but Gilgal was there. And that was the place where they were uh, circumcised. Remember that the old generation of unbelief that was full of unbelief who died in the wilderness and a new generation had been risen up. It was this new generation that was now coming in to possess the land, but they had to be circumcised. The old life had to be cut off, as it signified. This was a new beginning. And certainly for Elisha, this was definitely a new beginning for him. The old way was gone, and this was a new way. This was God's way. And so it was a place of new beginnings. Every new generation of leaders, of God's uh, leadership, have to be reminded of the ancient landmarks, the place of God's former glories. Now, there's lots of people who say today, but this is our generation, and that's true. We didn't live in the last generation. We're not going to live in the next generation. This is ours, and that's all very well and true. Can't deny that, but we can be encouraged and challenged and strengthened as we look back at our previous generation and see what God has done through them. Yeah. We can look at the ancient landmarks and be encouraged by that. And so this was an encouragement. Bethel was the place where Abraham worshipped. It was also that place that was famously known as where, you remember how that Jacob saw the staircase going up into heaven and how the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. Uh, and it was a life-changing moment uh, for Jacob. And, and it was Bethel, the house of God, that means. Jericho. Jericho, you remember, was the place where Joshua had his first victory. After they encamped at Gilgal, then the next place they had to go to was Jericho, which was the walled, great wall city that had to be defeated. And how they marched around that city 13 times and blew the trumpets, and the city walls fell, and they marched in. And it was an accursed city. Uh, and they took that city, and they took that area to begin to possess the land. And so all of these places uh, presented a rich spiritual history. And, uh, and Elijah was taking him through these places. These were the places where Elijah ministered. These are the places where he was now going to have to minister. But even though now they were steeped in idolatry, and all these three places were absolutely steeped in idolatry, but these would be the places where God would give him great victories. These sons of the prophets that it keeps mentioning are part of those 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. And it's, we can see there they were in three different locations. Uh, and these were, as we said last week, these were the precursors to the Bible schools today. These would be the places where young men would be trained in the things of God. And of course, Elijah would visit these places and he would stop by and encourage them and strengthen their faith and so forth. And then he would move on. And so eight to ten years earlier, uh, Elisha, in that beautiful spring morning, whenever he stopped by the, uh, the fields of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, and he threw his mantle over Shaphat's son Elisha, and, uh, and told him, in effect, that he was going to be his successor. But now Elijah, in fact, God, is going to put him to one last test. Would he give up at the final hurdle, or would he continue on? So let's look at these tests. Uh, first of all, in those first seven verses that we read, 
uh, Elisha, or, or Elijah was sent to Elisha, look, the Lord has told me to go on to Bethel, but you stay here as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And then a little bit later, the Lord has told me uh, to go on to Jericho. As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Then a little bit later, the Lord has told me to go on to Jordan. You stay here. As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Now, Elisha was not being rude to Elijah. He was not even being disobedient to Elijah. He knew, he sensed this was a test for him. And it was a test. God was testing him. Elijah was testing him. And he wasn't going to fail this test. He had come too far. He had waited too long to fail this test. He was going to stick by Elijah. He was going to make sure he was going to be there, that he was going to get this mantle. And, you know, whenever you read about the sons of the prophets there, uh, to say the least, I think they were a bit snide. And, uh, you, know, they, they, you know, they said to Elijah, do, do you know that your master is going to be taken away from you today? You know, that, that could mean, you know, hey, we know something that you don't know. Well, he says, of course I know. Just be quiet. Or it could be kind of saying, you know that your master is going to be taken away from you today. What are you going, maybe the implication, what are you going to do? How are you going to make it when your master's taken from you, when your mentor is gone? I mean, you've been with him for eight or ten years. You know, you've been by his side all this time. What's going to happen when he goes, how are you going to make it without him? We're over here at the Bible school. You're out there in the wilderness with Elijah. How are you going to make it without your mentor? So it seemed to be there was a bit of maybe jealousy. There was snide. You know, not very nice remarks they were making at uh, the man of God. Listen, when you start to pursue the purposes of God in your life, when you start to pursue the calling of God in your life, not everyone is going to be happy about it. And sometimes Christians will be the worst, actually. Those sons of the prophets who stand at a distance and watch and wonder about your motives and doubt maybe even your character and wonder what are you about? Who do you think you are? But... Elisha said, I know, keep silent. I suppose he, if you paraphrase that, he probably says, shut your trap. <laughs> That's what we had to say in ordinary, isn't it? Shut your trap. I know what I'm doing here. And so in verse 8, Elijah, he takes his mantle off. They've come to the Jordan and he smites the Jordan with his mantle, and it parts hither and thither. And they go on on dry ground. Now this is a test. Because Elisha is going to have to come back again. And he's being watched. 
the sons of the prophets are watching. What's he going to do? How is he going to do it? And so this is a test. And it's a big test. It's getting more demanding, this test. At least a hundred eyes are watching him. No one wants to look foolish or fail when others are watching on. And I'm sure Elisha was no different. You don't want to look an idiot when people are watching and judging you and marking you. So this was a big test. We'll see how he handles that in a moment. Verse 9, it says, And so it was as they had crossed over. Nothing is going to stop this man pursuing the purposes of God. So it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Actually, this is the greatest test. This is the biggest test. Up to now, all he had to do was keep on walking, keep on watching, keep on waiting. That's all he had to do. It was tough, it wasn't easy, but that's all he had to do. But now, he's going to have to say something. And what he says is going to reveal his heart. It's going to reveal his motives. When it comes to fulfilling God's purposes for our lives, our motives are very, very important to God. Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? God asked Solomon a similar question. What do you want? And Solomon answered, I want wisdom to release your people. And God was so pleased with that answer, wasn't he? And God not only gave him wisdom, God gave him riches and wealth and prospered him beyond anything that any man on earth had ever seen because God was so pleased with his answer. What is Elisha going to say? Because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. And Proverbs 27, 19, a man's heart reveals the man. And so Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, this is not arrogance or pride or ego speaking. Please do not think that. Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Elisha wasn't sent to Elijah. Elijah, I want my ministry to be twice as successful as yours ever was. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, Elijah, I want to do twice as many miracles as you have ever done. And actually, that eventually did happen. He did do twice as many miracles. But that wasn't what he was asking. That wasn't his attitude. Many years ago, Jason Dick's dad, William, gave me a recording, a tape recording. It was a wee man in Northern Ireland who lives away out in the back of beyond. And he had delusions of ministerial grandeur, of the tallest order. 
And he made a wee tape that he recorded, and you could hear his clock ticking in the background, so he knew it was in his house. And here's what he prayed into that tape. Lord, give me the greatest ministry this world has ever known over land, sea, or air. <laughs> That's a big thing, isn't it? I think there was a bit of pride in that, don't you? The greatest ministry the world has ever seen over land, sea, and air. If I tell you, he was asking big, wasn't it? But that wasn't the attitude of Elisha. Actually, he was asking in accordance to Deuteronomy 21.17. He was asking in accordance with the law of the double portion. The eldest son, the firstborn, got the double portion. When the old man died, the firstborn took on the responsibilities, the headship. He took on the rights, the responsibilities, and the rewards to become the firstborn. Elisha had been with this man for eight to ten years, and he was like a son to Elijah. Elijah was like a father to him, a spiritual father. So when he asked for the, the privilege and the responsibility of the firstborn he was going to, in fact, ask for that double portion. In the natural, when the father died, the firstborn got double portion, and he would need it because now he's going to have to run the family or run the farm or run the business. He had all the responsibilities. He would need all of that. And Elisha knew, if I'm going to step into this man's shoes and take on the responsibilities before God for the whole nation to be the prophet of the nation, I'm going to need the double portion. That's what he's saying. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. That's what he's asking for. And so his heart is right. His motive is right. He wasn't on an ego trip. This was something that was very, very important. It was a spiritual thing. It wasn't an easy thing. It would be a difficult thing. But he's asking for it. There's at least three schools of the prophets that say he's going to have to oversee. He's never overseen the school of the prophet before. That was Elijah's job, but now he's going to have to do it. There's kings that he's going to have to face and denounce their sinfulness. He's going to have to judge a nation. These are big, big things to do. No wonder he felt he needed the double portion of Elijah's spirit. That spirit of Elijah, that spirit of faith, that spirit of faithfulness, that spirit of courage, that spirit of bravery to be able to stand up and say and speak out. You see, a prophet in those days was not just a foreteller, they were a forth-teller. They had to speak forth to the nation or to kings or to rulers. So he was going to have to do that. There are many people who covet other people's ministries because they think that they look at somebody and they think, that, well, there's a status with that. They, they think there's adulation and there's honor and there's respect and all the rest of it. That's, that's what they think goes along with that, so they covet that. But Elisha had no such thoughts. 
The only thing he wanted to do was honor God. And he needed the strength and the power to do that. You know, Jesus' disciples, they wrestled with their egos, didn't they? Literally, just a few hours before Jesus was horribly and brutally crucified, all they could think about was who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Who was going to get those preferential seats at the table, the top table, sitting on his right hand and his left? Who's going to be that? Is it James and John? And there they argued among themselves until Jesus had to give them the illustration of servanthood. But Elisha had no such ego. And in verse 10 and 11, we see Elijah's fiery departure, which was very appropriate for one of the most fiery prophets in the Old Testament, the one who called fire down from heaven in Mount Carmel. And so God honors him. Can I tell you something right now? I've been hesitating about this, but I've got to say this. At four o'clock this morning, I was wide awake as I'm, I was as wide awake at four as I am right now. And this phrase kept going through my mind, and it's based on scripture, and you'll know it as soon as I say it. And here it is: If you honor me, I will. And the emphasis on the will: I will honor you. Now I immediately knew that it wasn't for me. Although, in a sense, it's for all of us. It's scriptural and it's right. But it's for somebody here today. Listen to it again. See if this resonates in your heart. Maybe it's a decision you're about to take. Maybe it's something you're about to do. If you honor me, I will honor you. There's a promise. I will honor you. So see if that resonates in your heart. That went over my mind umpteen times at four o'clock this morning. I couldn't get asleep. God's man is being honored. He sends a fiery chariot. And it separates the two of them. And then suddenly he's caught up in a whirlwind. Hmm. Enoch went out walking one day. And then suddenly... He was taken, and he was not. Jesus stood with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, and then suddenly he was taken up into heaven, and they stood watching. What a moment that must have been for Elisha, just to be standing there and seeing that. And the fact that he did see it was the proof that he needed that he'd got the answer to his prayer for the double portion. The fact that he saw it, he knew God will honor his word. Elisha's response, remember what he did? He tore his garments in two. That outer tunic, he tore it in two, which was a sign of sorrow, of mourning. And why wouldn't he? Here's the great man of God. 
Here's his mentor. Here's his spiritual father. And he would see him no more forever. And so his heart would naturally want to grieve. Grief is a natural thing, by the way. There's preachers today who tell us it's a sin to grieve. I don't know where they get that in Scripture. It's not a sin to grieve. It's a sin to grieve if we're a believer, if it's a sin to grieve without hope. That's when it's a sin if we grieve without hope. If the person's a believer, we're a believer. We sorrow not as those who have no hope. So it's quite natural. And so as a sign that he felt sorrow, he tore his garment in two. But he didn't stay there. He didn't sit down and decide, I can't go on. I've lost my master. My mentor's gone. Remember what the sons of the prophet said? Do you know that your master's going to be taken away from you today? Implying, what are you going to do? How's that going to feel? Well, naturally, he'd feel sorrow. But he's not going to let that stop him. Because there's a work to do. The kingdom of God goes on. And in our lives, there'll be times of sorrow, but we have to go on in God, in Christ, don't we? We have to go on. And so, he goes on. Then what does he do? He goes back to the Jordan. <laughs> and he goes to the bank of the Jordan. Sons of the prophets are watching at a distance. Dare he do this? <laughs> and no doubt they're wondering and waiting. And so he takes that mantle of Elijah and he folds it up and he holds it above his head and he smites the water and he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Not where is Elijah. Where's the God of Elijah? Elijah's gone. I'm going to miss him. I feel sorrowful. But ministry's got to go on. But God's on my side. The same God that Elijah served, I serve. The same God that worked for Elijah will work for me. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, isn't he? And so he smote the water, and it parted, heller and thither. What a moment that must have been. I can imagine those sons of the prophets, their eyes sitting out like organ stops. <laughs> but he knew that when Joshua, when God said to Joshua, send my ark out, and send the priests out, and get them to put their feet in the water in the banks of the swollen Jordan at the harvest time. And whenever they did that, God opened the waters. He knew when Elijah smote the waters, they opened. So there was no doubt in his mind. There was no inherent power in that piece of cloth in his hand. You know, if that happened today, I can imagine some evangelists, if that happened today, they'd be cutting that up in a thousand pieces and selling them for a thousand pounds each a piece. 
but there was no inherent power in that. It was the God of Elijah that did it. And this was the evidence and this was the proof that he is now serving the God of Elijah, Jehovah. And then these sons of the prophets, whenever he comes to them, it's said that the spirit of Elijah rests upon him and they bowed, as it were, before him. Not in worship, but in respect. They bowed before him, acknowledging that the spirit of Elijah rests upon him. And it would have been lovely if they had left it there. That would have been a fitting ending to the story. But we read on, and they didn't leave it there. What did they do? They said, there's 50 men here. Why don't we send them out to look for your master? Maybe the Spirit of God has taken them up and dumped them in some mountain or in some valley somewhere. They hadn't got a very high opinion of God. Sure they hadn't. These are theological students. These are prophets in training. These are Bible school students, and they hadn't got a very high opinion of God. Elisha was a farmer's son. He hadn't been to the schools of the prophets. But he had a high opinion of God. I was going to say there's nothing wrong with Bible schools. Some of them are terribly wrong. Some of them are brilliant and good and have great lectures and wise teachers, but there's some hasn't. And some goes in with faith and comes out with none. It's hammered out of them the time they finish. In others, they go in and their faith is enhanced and enriched and they come out stronger and wiser and better as the way it should be. They hadn't a very high opinion of God. I mean, even when God told Moses to climb Mount Nebo and he died on Mount Nebo, God buried him. He gave him a dignified funeral. God himself buried him. But nobody could find him. They should have known that at least. They were full of unbelief and cynicism, and they were critical. And Elijah says, don't send anybody. Hmm. But they kept Adam and Adam and Adam and Adam. Now that, that put him between a rock and a hard place. Because if he doesn't send anybody, it looks as if he has something to hide, which he hadn't. But it could be construed that way. That would maybe have been the next thing they'd accuse him of. If he does send somebody, then it could look as if he's a weak leader. He's caved in. But they keep Adam and Adam and Adam. Sometimes leaders are put in almost impossible situations. No matter what they do, it's going to be wrong in people's eyes. 
but they have to do what God wants them to do. And in the end, he was confident that even if he did send, if, they, if he allowed it to happen, they'd never find him because he knew that God had taken him. So did the prophets see that, God taking him? Well, it depends how far over the Jordan they were. Maybe they didn't see it. Maybe they didn't see that part. I'm giving a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. And so he says, send them. And out for three days. How are they going to scar the whole country for three days anyway? I mean, it's complete nonsense, isn't it? It's just daft. And they come back with their tails between their legs because they hadn't found him. And what did Elisha say? I told you so. <laughs> Should have listened, I told you so. <clears throat> so it's not very, <clears throat> it's a bit rude saying I told you so. The Apostle Paul in Acts 27, <clears throat> when he's on that prison ship, they go to set out. Paul says, don't do this. I perceive this ship will be with much hurt. Don't do this. For they didn't listen to Paul. They listened to the captain. And what does Paul know about ships? Just a tent maker. But whenever they got into real trouble, <laughs> Paul said, in effect, I told you so. Should have listened unto me, he said. I warned you, but you wouldn't listen. Oftentimes, a church leader can see things develop in people's lives and they try to warn them. Don't do that. Don't get down that road. But they do it anyway. And you could say, mm, told you so. <clears throat> Big mistake. But God's merciful, isn't it? And God can rescue us in the midst of our mistakes and our stupidities. And so Elisha now is the man that God has called to the nation. Yes, there are various similarities. Yes, at some point I may list them for use of the same types of miracles, but there's lots of difference. Certainly a different temperament, certainly a different personality. Didn't even dress the same. Elijah was rugged, fiery, outdoor, outspoken. Why? Elisha was a softer spoken man. Quieter demeanor. Oh yes, there can be moments. He had his moments. But a different personality. But God raised him up. And God used him mightily. And some amazing, miraculous things happened through his ministry that would make the hair stand up in the back of your neck. And that was just one of them. If we had a read on this morning, we don't have time you see there's two other miracles. He curses some youths and bears comes out of a forest and mauls them. So I don't like a sound of that. Sounds a bit Elijah like that. We'll maybe deal with that next week. What does that mean? What does that say to us? What can we learn from these things? That's what I'm trying to... I'm not trying to give you a history lesson, but Elijah, I'm trying to say, what can we learn from these things? They're written for our admonition, aren't they? Let's pray.
excuse my voice this morning. It's, <clears throat> it's gone a little bit funny. I've been talking too much. You know Claire's at home. <laughs> and we've got plenty of talking. To do something for your kingdom. And even though we're all different personalities... We have all different strengths and weaknesses, yet you find something for each of us to do and to be as a vital part of your kingdom. So Lord, help us, teach us, instruct us, guide us, that we may do it to the best of our ability. That it may bring you honor, that your kingdom may be extended, that your blessing may pursue. So we give you thanks for this. We thank you for your precious word that instructs us, that makes us aware. We glorify you and we praise your holy name in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.